0: Welcome to the Opening Up Cricket podcast. We're talking sport, fitness and mental health. Okay, slightly different today. I have someone with me, so it's not just going to be me talking endlessly for 20 minutes or so today what we're going to look at, broadly speaking, is um, the idea of managing change and transition and the, the challenges that that there are to mental health with that, but also not just the challenges, that the, the exciting prospects that emerge from it. So I've got with me uh, Tim McDonald and as we go through this we'll pick apart a little bit about Tim's life in cricket and how that's worked. So first off, thanks for joining me Tim. No, thanks, pleasure. So if we... When we look at these things when we 've had different people in the, in the past it 's always worth having a little uh, potted history of certainly how you came to reach a particular point so what what i 'm interested in, in in terms of um, your progression as a player is what what had happened prior to your, your making your, your first class debut for western Australia so what was the the move the transition like through grade up to them playing for your state
1: yeah okay um, well I played first class cricket at quite a, a late age I suppose my debut I was 26 um, and I'd played club cricket at Claremont Netherlands leading into that um, and we'd we'd gone through some tough times um, but then had moved into quite a successful period which the club is probably still in at the moment um, with with a group of mates so cricket for me was never about playing professionally um it was about playing with with my mates and um success that we were trying to achieve was so we could party basically we could have a beer we could you know we could talk about it for a few nights afterwards um and then i suppose when i reached 23 24 a couple of people got in my ear and said you know come on you you actually need to to start taking this seriously you are getting results on the pitch, um, and these were the mates that I was well, sort of hanging out with as well. So, um, I suppose they they were they were wanting me to go on to the next level, um, and I was kind of just wanting to hang out with them and yeah. win win cricket games and, and enjoy it. So, um, that a, cu- a couple of the mates and a couple of the coaches, sort of at the same time, saying, "Come on, you know, enough's enough. You can you can take it seriously now." Was was probably that first real transition for me into um, I suppose beginning to take it professionally or seriously. um, About 23 years of age I reckon. Okay, So
0: that would be yeah, certainly late compared to maybe guys that you'd have shared a changing room then shared a changing room with later who perhaps might have been on the the path to that from their early teens or even younger. I think what would be interesting for those certainly listening in the, the UK to to think about here is how much value is placed on performance in your grade competition over here so in in the UK yeah people will perform in the sort of ECB Premier Leagues or or what have you but it's really they're they're looking at the the stuff that's done within a county or within the county second 11 and things like that club performances don't tend to be things that get people in there but it seems and it sounds like what you'd have been doing there for Claremont Netherlands would have been something that would have started to get the attention of people going forward would that be fair?
1: Yeah definitely and um, and I think we were in a period in WA where club performances probably weren't being taken as seriously uh, as they are now um, I think when we saw Justin Langer come back into the West Australian setup that was one of his big pushes because you know club cricket. Is the next is the next level down, so we need to respect those um, those performances. But at the time, um, you know, there was there was a, there was club cricket wasn't respected by by um, the the state hierarchy for what for whatever reason. Um, so I, I suppose there wasn't that sort of pressure on you to go out and perform. And um, I think some guys obviously still would feel that, but um, I think we had a group there that we just wanted to play so that we could. Enjoy each other's company and and, and try and win, um, so uh, yeah, I, that's yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. Well, that that's,
0: that that's that's that is certainly interesting. Um, I think a lot of people on a pathway, particularly when they then find their journey for that then being stopped quite suddenly uh, in their teen years, don't really if if they, they reflect on it. And a lot of people that I've spoken to would with supporters don't really feel that enjoyment of their cricket. They're feeling that there's this performance they've got to get in their county age group or what have you. And if they don't get that, cricket becomes very, very measured by your results and, of course, that's the game. But that's really refreshing to hear what you were saying. Well, yeah, it's great to actually win because then you're having a good time with the boys and having a, having a drink and enjoying that. What was it that happened immediately prior to them making the step to to playing for, for WA. Was it a particular performance that you had for the club or was it something that you'd done within some kind of trial environment with the State? A bit of both actually,
1: yeah. So there was um, there was a couple of seasons uh, leading into me becoming professional where I I, you know, took a bucket load of wickets obviously performance wise. Um, but we also won a premiership as as a club. So I think the wickets in finals and, and getting you know getting good players out's probably what sparked, you know, the the selectors and things like that to, to start having a look at me and, and threw me into a, a second eleven sort of setup, second team setup um, where I also performed. So um, that 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 was probably definitely sparked performance wise, I, I would suggest. Okay. Which uh, and it, it probably sparked me as well because I I had gone for so long without being recognised and and bat- you know had battles with that myself and you know am I actually good enough? Am I? But then when you, when you do get thrown in there and you, you actually still perform, um, you, have to, you start going home going, well, hang on a sec, you know, actually maybe I should be a bit more serious yeah, about this because yeah. I, I have outperformed my own expectations a little bit there.
0: That must be, in terms of transition, maybe the, 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 the biggest thing to have, to have dealt with in going from, never mind anyone else's perception, but your perception of yourself, from being a good, great club player to then considering that next step which is almost a blind one because you're thinking about so many different ways people can get there and then the nature of making a debut in a particular level of sport or a first day of work or whatever it is you don't know what's going to come because you haven't done it before so going from that being successful at that particular level what would you say and this is probably a two difficult questions to answer but what would be the biggest difference between playing and I mean to say on the pitch rather than off the pitch what would the biggest difference be between grade and then playing for your state
1: I think it's, it's on the pitch is yeah. is what you can get away with so I think your consistency is something that it's really hard to train that as an amateur because um, you, you, you'll still bowl your balls that you bowl or the shots that you play, your best shots, your best balls will still be really, really good. But you've got to you've got to shorten the gap between your best and your worst. Um, so you, I mean, you can go out and club cricket and take six for fifty, and you and you probably bowled a dozen pretty bad balls. Um, I, I don't think you can get away with that at, at first class level. Um, and you probably your your good balls um, are, are probably not. Necessarily going to take a wicket, whereas you're pretty confident um, at, a, at a club level that that they can. So um, you got to mentally deal with the fact that you've just pulled the best six balls that you could possibly bowl, and the, the, the blokes still there. Yeah. Um, that was the biggest, I reckon, challenge okay, for yeah. me. Yeah.
0: And then off the pitch, I suppose you then mo- you are moving away from that environment where you're with a group of mates who you're probably known for the best part of your life, and then being thrown in with people who in a way you don't get to to choose to spend your time with. Um, Would that have been the biggest difference or the biggest challenge or is there anything else in that off the field or preparation that makes this transition uh, a tough one?
1: Yeah, I I thought that preparation-wise, the step-up in training was really difficult for me. I I was always carrying weight and and never overly fit, but I, I just felt like... Um, there was uh, there was always an, an excuse. People were always going to look for an excuse for me to lose my contract or to not play. So I wasn't going to I wasn't going to give it anything away. So you know, with the with the fitness side, I was I was well underdone when I first got there, but I was never going to show that. So I think mentally, um, just not breaking there um, because I knew that anything like that would would mean it was all gone um, was was probably big for me. Um, I think moving into an environment where, as a 25-year-old, I'd played club cricket against these guys for nearly 10 years and, and, and earned respect at that level, um, they probably looked after me as well because they they knew that I'd I'd, I'd earned it. I'd, I'd done it the tough way. Yeah,
0: that's again these parallels or the, the lack of a parallel between English and Australian club cricket is that you would have been in that that WA dressing room and played, have played against each and every one of them, I assume, at at, at some point or another. That move that pairs might make in English cricket from whatever their background is then to playing for a county, it could be that their first net session or their first hit with them is the first time they've they've met them or they speak to them. They might have reputation. Um, So I think that, I mean, it's not a case of one's doing it right or one's doing it wrong, but that's quite interesting to see that you, there's not so much the element of being the new kid in class they will have preconceptions whether they're good or whether they're bad they already go into that um, in terms of that period then and in, in fact across your time at, at WA and then at Tasmania is there anyone that comes to mind as being someone that is, was particularly impressive in terms of their mental strength so we take away whoever's got the best cover drive or the best action or whatever, just someone who seemed to be able to harness their mental strength when they needed it the most? Oh,
1: there's, a, <laughs> there's a strong question. Um, I, think, oh, I think it was more evident the guys that that, that didn't, and I think um, in that period that you're talking about there, um, the guys that had, had been around and, 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 and had dominated with performances for... Their club, um, but we're still willing to, I suppose, help. Like someone like me coming in for the first time uh, into the change rooms, um, and and you know it, they didn't care. Like there was no, there's no jealousy. They 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 were there to to help help me try and make that adjustment. I, I found that a big sign of mental strength. Like there was no, um, yeah, they, they weren't worried. They were, you know, they weren't threatened. Um, they were there for the good of the team and, and the squad, all improving together. Um, I suppose back then I, I probably didn't have the awareness of this sort of stuff that that's probably developed in the last five or ten years. But but that's when I think about that, that's probably the closest I can come to. Guys like Adam Bogers, Chris Rogers, we um, had some some bowlers like Brett Dory, Steve McGoff, and those sort of guys. They were they were not, you know they were open-armed I suppose coming in and they were like look we know what you've done and we're gonna sort of help you carry and get and get through I suppose
0: that's that's something which I must say uh, I've not heard from heard that perspective before because the question's quite loaded and whenever I ask it I'm trying to push someone down a line and and get them perhaps for a soundbite to name one guy and, and what have you and a lot of that is around would be around performance and say we've just seen Alistair Cook retire at the moment people talk about his mental strength and, and and that be evidenced by certain things but that perspective of how those guys helped you and their their ability to put the team ahead of themselves and to not be consumed by any kind of pettiness is uh, is a wonderful example of mental strength and that's something which anyone listening or anyone involved in sport or, or anything if if, if someone is a, a, a collaborator like that, that does show great reserves of, of sort of internal confidence, and and then that will transmit to other people. So those guys looking after you must have made it so much easier, rather than turning up where people are actually kind of bitching about this or saying, oh well, he's played, he's done well at Gray, but he's not going to do that here. Um, so with that supportive environment and a lot of say familiar faces and people that you'd. You' played with or against for a long time. you made the decision to move to to Tasmania now I've read a couple of things about why that was, but obviously you'd be more interested to hear from from you from yourself um, that as a transition is is big isn't it from your interaction with With WA as a state and your knowledge of years playing in the grade system and then moving through there, I'm by no means saying that will have been comfortable for you. It's a big change and a big change in your outlook to go from being a clubby to then being someone who plays it for a living. To then make that step and and seek a move to go to Tasmania, it seems like quite a big departure from what you've been doing before. So what was it that influenced that decision?
1: I suppose that realisation I was talking about before was um, I went from am I good enough to I think I can actually produce something here Um, but I don't necessarily think that 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 stigma had changed in the selection department so um, and and teammates certainly knew that as well so uh, you know there's guys saying to me you know you Keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be a matter of time. You got to do this. You, you know, I played a couple, a handful of games, but not not many. Um, went away and got married, came back from a honeymoon, was about to sign another another contract, and, um, and and Tasmania rang, and it wasn't really something that I was was thinking of, but um, it kind of was more towards the attitude I had about had the improved attitude I had about my myself, rather than the attitude I was hearing from the team the selectors, the, the coaching staff that I was playing with at the time. So I thought it fitted um, more for the new attitude I had myself. So do I do I battle away here now knowing that I think I'm good enough um, and, and that I don't really think they think I'm good enough or do I go and move to a state who, who are telling me they think I'm good enough? So I think that was probably... That was the trigger for that change more yeah. than anything else that you may okay. have, have read. Yeah. But yeah,
0: well, as I said, when I said it, I, I read some stuff about it, it might have sounded like there's going to be some kind of dramatic scandal or something <laughs> like that. Um, there's also little bits that are around, I suppose, what you'd get more so it playing your, your home games there rather than a, the whacker would be perhaps there's the opportunity for the ball to do a little bit more, which, of course, is a bowler you're never going to turn down. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is fascinating to see how you've you left your comfort zone behind more and more. From, that would be from someone's outside perspective. But in actual fact, because you become more comfortable in the kind of player you are and what you could do, making that decision to move to, to the island and, that and not stay where you played your cricket for so long was probably a, a logical step in, in that regard. Yeah,
1: and I, I spent five days... Um, you know the, the, the people that I considered mentors, um, the people that I, I considered friends, and and the coaches that I, I I got on with. I spent five days ringing them all and saying, "What do you reckon?" And, and not one of them said, "Don't go." So that that was that was pretty pretty powerful, I reckon. Especially some of which they were still involved and going to be involved in the WA team going forward. So it um, had you know some leadership group players who who I rang and they they said, "Go for it." You, know, you, you should do this so that that backed up what I was thinking so yeah. once
0: again they've been able to detach detach themselves from from this and consider what's best for a teammate, what's best for a friend what's best for a fellow cricketer yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Well, I, I rang Marcus North uh, he was playing I think at Gloucester at the time or, or somewhere like that and um, rang him you know late at night WA time and, and he was the captain of WA at the time in the absence of Justin Langer and, and He listened and and just said, "I think you should do it." Um, And I'm probably in my control now to say that, but um, yeah, that was that was that was big.
0: That was powerful. Okay, yeah. So you made the move there, not only in terms of a a cricketing career, but of course then having to be to be based in a different part of the of, of the world. I mean, it's seems like it's only a little bit of sea but it is uh, I'd imagine pretty different in Tasmania compared to, to WA just like when you move anywhere yeah I mean I'm not gonna Tasmania I, I've got friends who are from Sydney who seem to think everywhere else in Australia is inferior to there <laughs> so then Tasmania goes quite a long way down the list for them so we won't perhaps go into any of those stereotypes but certainly different place mm-hmm. now and, and this was where after you'd, after you'd got your, your, your foothold there that you're your first class career finished having played there having played your time at Tasmania was there something towards the end of that in hindsight that you'd have looked at and thought that was a sign that you'd be best placed moving away from the sport professionally or was it something that just snuck up on you and and hit you?
1: Oh it snuck up on me um yeah but uh, looking back um it shouldn't have, <laughs> um, but I, I, I was I was sorted off the field. So I I had I had a degree. I had you know I had worked before. I had I'd done those sort of things. Um, I, I had a I had a wife. I had a new new child, and, and things were sorted off the field. So um, yeah, it did sneak up on me. Um, I hadn't played a game for the whole season. I hadn't been selected, so it shouldn't have snuck up on me. Um, but I was in the best. Nick, I thought, fitness-wise and, and bowling-wise. So, um, yeah, when I look back on it now, um, there, there was a role that I was, I was asked to play, and the year before I, I'd played it quite well and then didn't make the starting line-up the next, next year. But, yeah, I suppose the game, looking back on it, passed me by it, and it did sneak up on me. Um, but I knew I had gone fully into cricket, knowing that, it, to me, it wasn't an issue if that happened because I had all this stuff to fall back on um, and I, I looked at all the young guys coming into the change rooms and that was my biggest message going through to them was, you know, this, that that can happen, That you know, it can sneak up on you um, all the eggs are in one basket, that's great but without being, you know, without lecturing or anything like that there, there needs to be something yeah. else while you're playing and then ready to go into afterwards which I think has been done really well now
0: you know. yeah yeah and, and again yeah this is that 's probably the the ultimate transition isn 't it what someone does from any career, whether that be of course professional sports is very different because that career will be over much earlier than say my line of work teaching uh, the way it 's going i 'll probably have to be in the classroom until i like, 'm about eighty seven <laughs> before I get my pension, but even then when someone finishes you if you 're defined by what your job is to make that step away from that can be really difficult. What age were you when you you finished first class
1: thirty one um, and I suppose the whole sneaking up on me thing um, we pretty much moved back to West Australia straight away and Mickey Arthur was coaching WA at the time um, and I, I still thought I was I was fine, so I, I approached him you know I started training on with the squad and all that sort of stuff, but um, it, it wasn 't the same I was trying to work and body needed to be training full time to actually still be able to pull it off so um, Oh yes, yeah. That that twelve months, that eighteen months was was when it, it sunk in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. early thirties, it was
0: And now, at that point, so you, you had the conversation with with WA and, and had some access to, to to at least, I suppose, having an attempt to try and fire it up again in, in, back in your your home region. Did you have any break from? from cricket completely or did you then slip back into playing grade or, or, or what was your, your movement in terms of playing I guess one of the better term recreational cricket after that?
1: Yeah I, I went straight back to Claremont and I, I came back um, I suppose as a supplementary sort of income I came back as, as captain of the club so um, that was that was part of the whole move home. Um, I'd I had captained a little bit in my club side in in Tassie, but um, more through default. Um, so I suppose coming back to an environment where I was I was never really in line to be captain of a, a side, and then I came back to sort of captain it, um, and I hadn't been there for five years. Um, yeah, that was the transition. So I, I did that for probably two or three years. It was probably a coaching sort of role in that captaincy, but um, yeah, it was still playing under a coach. Um, and, and being more the on field tactician than anything. Yeah. And that
0: group of mates who you played with first time round, how much of that that um, cohort remained?
1: Hardly any. any, <laughs> any but a lot of the um, a lot of the young guys that were sort of emerging at the time were were young guys that were sort of hanging around the club at that that time. So I suppose um, they had they had watched me playing but you know that that was 13 14 um, so I'd never really seen them them play as men and 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 that so that was quite an interesting experience as well um, and taking Claremont's quite a private school sort of group of guys and, and and trying to then teach them how to fend for themselves um, as, as 17 18 year olds and, and teach them Cricket, which is what happened to me when I was 17, 18, and I rocked up to the club for the first time, was was that's what guys did. They they taught you about yeah. cricket, but also about life, and, sure. and yeah, that was it was an interesting experience. Yeah.
0: So, at that point, I, I, I'm just imagining what some people might might think here. Players, of course, do go back to to their their boyhood clubs and and play, perhaps alongside being a, a, a professional I know my, my club in, in Liverpool uh, Sefton Park uh, there's a fella called Paul Horton I think he's played a bit in the, in the, the Perth grade Sydney grade who spent his formative years at the club he's his, his, his still in his first-class career Lancashire, then Leicestershire and played four games or so for us this year brilliant for the, for the young lads and even just the people watching to see, see that now for him He can then go back after a game, back into that professional environment. Was there anything for you about going back to that and kind of being back to where you started and having your first-class career in the middle? Was that a difficult thing to deal with? Or was it something that you sound like you're someone who who approaches the things as you've you've taken what you can from it and and don't spend time kind of what if How was it going back like that?
1: Yeah, well, by that stage, I knew that I'd got everything out of you know, but well, I was you know I was never blessed with a over- huge amount of talent, so I, I kind of knew that I was lucky to have played you know twenty odd first class games, and um, and that was um, I was pretty content with that, um, and I kind of just took the mindset back to I suppose before it all happened, what was what was my driving force. And it was, it was all about winning games cricket and, and spending time with, with those guys. So that was, there's a couple of Jim Allenby, he was, was obviously a big figure at the club as well. Um, and that, was, that, that became our mantra. We're building, we're, we're building cricketers, but we're, we're, we're building, building men. So, um, number one, we're trying to win for the club. And, and anything that was sort of happening ambitiously or selfishly outside of that, that you picked up on it was, that was when you kind of had to drag guys back in and, that, and I think that, that if you talk to some of the, the guys who have maybe are in their mid-20s now um, it's probably six or seven years after the time we're talking um, that, have, that have started to feel a bit of success um, I reckon they'd say that as well we, we, it was all about the club, and, and no one individual could be too big for that. So, yeah,
0: excellent. Yeah, yeah. So with you return, yeah, you said that there's the captaincy, but also a, a, a broader leadership role um, around coaching as well. So, if we fast forward to, to where we are today, your coaching then has taken a big step forward in that you, you you're the bowling coach for the uh, the, the Perth Scorchers. WBBLT so I suppose at this stage of the year it's now starting to pick up pace as you're getting closer to the fixtures how did you find yourself moving towards not only coaching and bowling coaching but then being in a position then to coach coach women
1: yeah well it's fairly big a lot's happened in the last five or six years I suppose I, I um I injured my back uh playing-wise, um, and, and, and I'd always been had a coaching role, I suppose, but I, I'd always been of the view that I didn't think you could could be a club coach and, and play. I think they, my belief is that they're two separate sort of roles, so the club had always been, you know, we want you to be the club coach, and I sort of said, well, I still want to play, but then when I injured my back, it was just like, right, okay, I, I can move completely away from that and coach um, coach the club for two or three years, three years, I think. Um, and it's just an all-consuming sort of thing. I don't know if, you've, if you have or if anyone's experienced having to coach the club that they grew up mm. playing for um, and work <laughs> um, and try and support a family and pay a mortgage and all that sort of stuff. Um, you, you, you're spending every waking hour that you're not at work at the cricket club, so that kind of, um, I suppose, ties you out pretty yeah. quickly, so... Um, just over 12 months ago, I I sort of said we need a break here. I said, my wife said need to, <laughs> we need to we need break here. Um, so I sort of stepped away from cricket, knowing that you know coaching I'd move back into in the future at some stage. But um, opportunity came up to coach some of the bowlers, um, female bowlers uh, in the West Australian setup. So um, I, I thought I'd, I'd give it a shout, knowing that it was a few hours a week. Um, and then turned into a few more hours a week and then, and then into a kind of a semi-permanent sort of role. So that's where we're at at the moment.
0: Okay. Uh, there's always a, an interesting thing about what makes a, a good player or a good bowler, a good batsman. It is one set of skills. Then what makes someone a good coach is, is, is different. And you, the people who've, who've experienced the, the top of a sport can often depending on personality, of course, find it very difficult to, to teach or to instruct or whatever term we use, because something that may appear straightforward to them is then harder for other people to pick up. Now, you'd had success with coaching um, back at the club. Uh, i have noted that there'd been a lot of, of on-field success, a lot of flags that have been picked up, so you must have gained some confidence to that, well, actually, yeah, you can transmit what you're trying to get across. Within your current role or, or any coaching that you have, would you, what would you define your role as with that group of bowlers, what is your role with them
1: uh, A facilitator I would say I think and probably uh, a lot of coaches might make the same mistake when you're moving straight from playing into coaching, you fall into the trap of, of trying to tell people how they need to be bowling like your arm must be here, you, know, you must release the ball like this, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, it, it, it doesn't work and, and and it's not it's not the best thing thing for the athlete, especially when you're talking about a specialist coaching coaching role um, and females exaggerate that by 200 percent. So um, I think with the way that female cricketers take on information uh, compared to, to males is a huge learning curve for me coaching wise. Um, but it, I think it makes you a better coach because you can't, you, everything females they're like sponges, so they'll take everything you say literally on board. So you, you just need to say less, basically. Ask. It's it's more about asking and listening, um, trying to trying to create and help them create an environment for them to work out how to get it right, rather than you telling them what right is. Yeah.
0: no interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, with the with the group that you you work with, um, would it be the case that the the, the ladies are playing their, their cricket as a, a sideline or something else so then is there a, is, is it all are they all part time or are they all full time or is there a mix between well
1: yeah this is probably the other big difference between between the women's game in Australia and, and, and England talking to you know people like Kate Cross and the it, it, Everyone in that squad at the moment um, is getting reasonably well paid to be there. Some of them do have side jobs, um, but it, it, it can't be full-time like because yep. they're, they're required to be
0: um,
1: around yes. too much, especially over summer. We travel pretty much all of December and January now. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that the majority are full-time cricketers. They might study a bit on the on the side. There might be a couple of part-time jobs going on,
0: but, uh, yeah. So within that... I, I, uh, I suppose this would be the difference that you, you have between your work currently and maybe what you had in the past with the club is, and I think this would be useful for coaches listening uh, from wherever, how how hard can you actually push someone who's not doing it for a living?
1: Yeah, um, I think you've got to get a different type of buy-in. Um, I think when as soon as you start paying an athlete... Um, there's a requirement there's a job description there's all those sort of things they, they literally have to do it um, but with with amateurs you, you've got to get a different sort of mind you've got to give them another reason why and I think um, I think having done that previously um, and having done it in business as well, I think those two things actually then help because you can still use um, the other reasons for buying um, with athletes that are getting paid as well. Um, so I, I think if they're genuinely motivated by improving and team success, um, even though they're getting paid to be there, that's that's when they've got the balance right um, as a professional.
0: Okay, uh, and I suppose if we're bringing this to a to a conclusion, a lot of what I don't know it was just what I picked up. A lot when we when we get conversations about. Um, about mentality in cricket. I don't know if it's, there seems to be a default towards it being a, bat, a batter's perspective and saying how you deal with routine between balls and how you look at the challenges around having all these fielders and perhaps even the umpires you think have got it in for you and everything like that. As a, as a bowler, though, there are just as many challenges. So I've the one question which, my, which you can draw on all your experience from both sides of this. As a bowler, how do you move on from a bad ball or a bad spell? Because if I'm going to fight the corner for bowlers here, the batsman gets out, they're back in the changing rooms, and they can have a bit of a, a, a strop, but then they can, if they've got the skills, move on and, and, and distract themselves, watch whatever they do. For a bowler, you're still in the game, aren't you? You bowled a bad over. You're being pulled off by the captain, and you're saying, "Oh, well, actually, I think I could have carried on." And you maybe got you've got hours potentially in the field to think about it. So, what is it mentally that, as a bowler yourself, or the bowlers that you that you, you, facil- you do facilitating work with, how do you move on from that bad ball, that bad spell, to be able to then go again? Yeah,
1: well, you, you can't bowl a ball with emotion. So, I think that's the biggest thing is is in. You know, especially big bash cricket, there's so much going on in the 24 balls that you know, you're allowed to bowl that you, you, you're going to get whacked. Um, but if the next ball's delivered with the emotion of what's happened the ball before, um, you're not going to be in as good a place. So I think, I think focusing on matchups, focusing on the plan that you have for that situation and knowing that if you execute that, Enough times, you're going to be the winner of that contest, uh, rather than should I just got hit? I just got flicked off off stump over square leg for six, going to happen in the T20 game. Um, but if you bowl that same ball three more times, and that was your plan that you'd worked on, you'd researched, and you were confident in, I think taking the emotion away from it and just trying to execute that again is is probably the, the best way to deal with that as a bowler. We don't get, I suppose the the batters are always saying. They get one chance. They nick off. They're gone. They have to sit down and watch everyone else do it. Um, for a bowler, it can be just as difficult having to do it again, like you said. But so you're taking emotion out of that, and batters can do the same. Take take the emotion out of the dismissal and work out, you know, if you're backing that what you tried to do was the right plan. Go and do it again next time. You know, it's it's just it, it is a game of match-ups. So
0: especially at the T20 level. Sure. Yeah, and this sounds a lot, and I think we've we've had a really nice circle here of of what we've talked about that that preparation and those plans and that consultation with teammates coaches whoever else is really what seems t- to build that mental strength that you know you can rely on things because people have bought people have helped you people have been consulted people have a stake in something and when we look at, at cricket as a vehicle for good mental health all those practices are textbook classics of how you should live your life in terms of supporting each other with things that might be difficult it could be related to your health outside of sport in this it's a case of helping people with their performance so as a final one what would you, you, you say that is the biggest thing you can take from, from cricket and that, that competitive but supportive environment to then help you with your, your health and mental health in general
1: Oh, and it, it is a bit of a cliche, but what would you rather? You know, what would you rather be doing? Um, I think a lot of the time, the performance, or the lack of performance, or the, the underperforming, can can bring you down. But how, how how good that you're getting the opportunity to then turn up again tomorrow and actually bowl a cricket ball or or, or hit balls as a job, or um, if it's not your job, you've got the time, you've you've got the opportunity. The skill to actually be allowed to do that—that's um, that's such a, it's so much fun. You, you get to hang out with these blokes um, or girls um, and get paid for it if you're a professional, um, or be allowed, be afforded the time to do that if, you, if you're an amateur. I, I think if you if there's if you're planning, practicing, performing, reviewing, and when all those when, when that all comes together and you actually start winning, and everyone's done it you know 100% you can all share in that there's no better feeling than than doing that um, as part of a team
0: yeah excellent yeah well I think what Tim's given us today is an excellent insight to not only his his own career and how he's managed change and transition but and it's not just for the, the the tape the kind of attitude and perspective which is something I'd impress on anyone to to approach these kind of things with that rather than for example dwelling on could I have played more first class games, being grateful and thankful that you played the amount that you did and rather than thinking it'd be tough going back to your club where you'd left to go to bigger and better things actually seeing the merit in going back and 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 helping them with what you can so all these things are great examples from a slightly different perspective that we looked at last time with the alistair cook podcast are great examples of how mental strength and durability and mental fitness whatever term you want to use has many different ways of being shown and tim's given us a cracking insight there so thanks very much for joining me no thanks Mark. it's great